Okay, so welcome back to the Cloud Native Compass. I'm your host, David Flanagan, and today I am joined by Natan from Wix Engineering as we discuss and share wonderful insights into the world of event-driven architectures. Hello, Natan. How are you today? Hi, David. A pleasure to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'm really excited for this episode. Uh, event-driven architectures are, are just what keep me excited about technology, uh, even after 20 years, and being able to dig into it with experts and understand how they approach complex domains via event-driven architectures is always the highlight of my week. So thank you so much for joining me. I discovered you via the Wix engineering blog, which turned out to be a bit of a goldmine for engineering content. So before we dive into that and event-driven architectures, could you share a little bit more about you? Uh, sure. So I've been a software engineer now for close to 20 years, I think. And it's been such a, a lovely experience for me. So for the last eight years, uh, I've been in Wix, which really drove me to become much better engineer uh, in all of the skill sets uh, that engineer should have, and also be able to share it and want to share what I've learned and, and what uh, Wix has achieved uh, with the rest of the world. And I think it's really important, and I encourage every uh, engineer, no matter what is their skill level, uh, to do the same and and try to write a blog post about their experiences and what they learned. There's no such thing as something that is not interesting or something that no one uh, will care about. And even uh, if you if you don't get a lot of exposure, it's still great to to create content. It 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 gets you a create in a creative high. So I really recommend it. Yeah, uh, that's great advice. So early on in the episode, like I, I often refer to this as like a collective knowledge when I speak at conferences and such. It's like the more we can get engineers working on their own their own issues, right, that their organization has, that their team has, that they personally have, and the more we share this knowledge in a public forum, the more that other people can learn and build upon that knowledge, right? It provides foundations for people to go and do wonderful things with technology. So that's such great advice. Thank you for sharing that. So. You've you've been at Wix and you're saying that it's kind of, you know, improved your engineering chops, you're working on fun problems. I mean, just to give people some context and clarity on what Wix does and what kind of scale they're operating at, um, can you just share a bit more details there? Sure. So Wix has a very powerful website building platform. And over the years, it has enabled all kinds of people with uh, different skill levels uh, to build websites. We were pioneers in building websites based on AI, for instance, uh, even before it became so uh, trendy and viral uh, like these days. And in more recent years, we expanded our reach um, from like uh, self-creators to agencies and web professionals and created a whole ecosystem platform. So you don't only manage uh, online presence, but also manage businesses online. Uh, from stuff like building and managing your bookings and schedule for your yoga and Pilates studio to uh, sophisticated tools like third-party dropshipping. And as all, as we expanded our offerings, uh, more and more customers uh, were brought in and the scale has really increased. So we have around uh, 2,500 microservices in production, even more added every week. And they come up with uh, a lot of uh, visitors, around 1 billion unique visitors every 
month, which gives more than 500 billion HTTP requests per day and 70 billion Kafka events produced every day. So very large scale and a very big distributed system where there are a lot of challenges to keep up uh, the high availability, performance, low latency, and resiliency and uh, fault tolerance. Wow. I mean... I was asking to give the audience clarity on scale, and I think you've just surpassed the numbers I even had in my head. So those are some pretty chunky numbers you've got running through your system. So let's kind of touch on something there, right? You said you've got 2,500 microservices. It's growing every week. Did Wix start off as a monolithic application? Or has it always been a microservice architecture or service-oriented architecture to some degree? And were you part of that migration? If so, Yeah, I think uh, very early on, uh, Wix adopted the service-oriented architecture. I think there were monoliths, like at the very beginning, I think there were services that were expanded into a monolith and were written, like I think, back in like 2006, 2007, 2008, it's before my time, but uh, with uh, like Java technologies, like enterprise technologies, monolithic stuff. But very, very quickly after that, especially since we adopted Scala, we went over to look more smaller and smaller services and uh, microservices and uh, haven't looked back since, really. We kept on improving standardization, ease of building an, uh, a new service with all the different um, cross-cutting concerns that are involved because it's really a big challenge. So like keeping velocity fast with uh, all the needed building blocks for every service, because while we may not be monolithic, it's in some respect, you can think about the Wix platform as a distributed monolith, right? Because you have all these verticals that offer a lot of more extra features for the different kinds of websites. So you can have an e-commerce store, but you can also have the bookings uh, features or a restaurant or a hotel, uh, etc. And all of these have to work together along with the site editing infrastructure, etc. So you have a lot of, of, of different services working on very different domains, but at the end of the day, they need to have basic language to, to communicate, to propagate a user context, and to do regulation like GDPR and a lot of other concerns. Of course, concerns where you work with microservices, it's much harder to debug, much harder to know what's going on. So you want to have good monitoring infrastructure in place and an ease of like a lot of tools to investigate. So all of that has to be built in to each and every microservice. And that's why I say, okay, they are created independently by different teams and they have completely different uh, domains, business domains. But in the technical aspect, you can think about them as a distributed monolith. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Like if those, you know, you're an, you're an engineer, right? Your nine to five is to, to write code and help build out the Wix platform. How many of those services do you have in your head as a 2,500? I know it's a completely superficial question, but I'm just curious, like what is your exposure to uh, application that size? How much of it can you actually grok on your own? Right. So as an infrastructure developer, um, I, I'm exposed to potentially all of them, like each day, uh, some, some team from uh, another part of Wix will contact us about some question or issue. So at times I'm familiar more with with with, with parts uh, different parts. Uh, but of course it's really impossible to keep all 2,500 uh, in your head. So 
I know uh, the different verticals. I know the different challenges. Like some verticals have more throughput than others. You know, as the funnel sh- uh, shrinks, you get uh, less um, like technical challenges. You can still have a lot of API and and business and and uh, like business logic challenges, but you'll have less technical challenges. So I'm probably more familiar with the higher scale ones. I would say. But uh, getting 2,500 is impossible for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the split is between application services and infrastructure services, but I imagine there's a lot of identity stuff going on. There's a lot of caching going on. There's the message processing. There's consumers. Like, you know, when you have, and I'm making some assumptions right now, right? Because I don't know a lot about Wix yet, but I imagine there's a substantial amount of platforming that has to be done to support the developers to be able to you know onboard and run their services um, when you get to this level of scale so in fact let's before i say like what are the challenges let's just start off with like you know why go down this path of event-driven architectures for a system like wix like what are the pros and, and what are the cons of this sure so uh, usually when you start off with microservices if you come from monoliths then you're used to function calls, right? And uh, procedure calls. And then the natural extension of that when you split it up to more, multiple services is to do remote procedure calls uh, or uh, something similar like uh, REST APIs. And that's very a vet- very natural thing to do. Now, what I've noticed uh, that can happen in such situations is it's, it can be a bit restrictive. For instance, you want to call call a service and actually what like uh, in e-commerce uh, your card service calls the catalog service and the inventory service etc and what usually happens is like a big chain of 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 calls that that occur in in such situations right like uh, you mentioned the identity probably will be in the context uh, but also a lot of of, of business Procedures happen on different services, and, and, and you start getting a very, very large chain of, of uh, requests between these services. And, and this, uh, this can really uh, form a, a big challenge where you need to take care of making sure that you still have resiliency and fault tolerance in place. And, and that can be tricky because uh, you have to make sure that you meet deadlines and, and, and give out responses uh, back uh, in 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 an orderly amount of time like a, a normal amount of time and when you spread out the request and and get like a, a russian doll of, of requests here you, you you end up being really dependent on the availability and the performance on each and every one of these services along the chain so it can really make your uh, your requests brittle so of course, there are mitigations to stuff like that, right? You can, if if a service is not uh, responding and failing, you can retry. Or if uh, some service is completely down, you want to avoid cascading failure. So uh, you introduce circuit breakers to reduce the impact uh, and not affect the entire uh, system. But while we do have a lot of CRUD applications at Wix with a lot of request responses. At the same time, we really rely very heavily on an event-driven architecture as well. So it's kind of a hybrid architecture. And this type of architecture really makes everything a lot more resilient. And I would also say uh, decoupled. So if we have some event happening on the site infrastructure level, right? So all of these verticals, 
are interested in that. So imagine all of them now calling the site InfoService and requesting all kinds of information. So that can really get a, a really big bottleneck and really slow things down. So you can cache a lot of the responses, but caching is a mechanism that's really need to be deployed carefully. You want to avoid stale values because stale values can really corrupt your data and provide the incorrect answers. So if you have just events being emitted from the site infra service, so all the verticals, different verticals like e-com and restaurants and hotels uh, can can consume them and, and decide what's interesting to them and keep that uh, smaller data set on their side. You get a much more resilient distributed system here. You get a lot more, like the, the decoupled nature means that you reduce the blast radiuses, you, you kind of silo issues, right? If if um, the restaurant's consumer of site events has some issue now, it does, it can it just cannot affect any other vertical. It's impossible, right? So that's a, a lot a, a great advantage. And I'm sorry for the long answer, but uh, also Wix, uh, like I said, evolved from only catering to do-it-yourself um, site owners to actually work with developers. And then they also require to know sometimes what's going on uh, in the site. And one of the ways, like if they develop JavaScript on top of a Wix site, they want to get sometimes JavaScript callbacks and do actions when stuff happens. So naturally, it will be much easier to expose all the rich possibilities that the Wix platform offers as JavaScript events or, or, or callbacks than you would want to have the ability to emit events from all of your microservices, potentially, right? To make it a platformized effort so that it easily then translated over to to this JavaScript callback or to the to an HTTP webhook and stuff like that. So it gives you flexibility, resilience, and the ability to layer stuff one on top of the other much more easily in, in a more robust way. Okay, thank you. So just to kind of recap a little bit of that, right? You know, you're talking about how You've got services, and, and some of them have, let's call it, an, an, an appetite for eventual consistency to the point, I guess it's maybe not binary, but they either they cannot accept eventual consistency, and those are probably going to be more likely to be your, your CRUD-based endpoints that you were mentioning. And then there's the ones where it's okay, maybe we can accept some eventual consistency, so they may take on a more event-driven pattern. Um, and you also spoke there about cascading failures and you know the Russian doll of HTTP requests, right? Which is a, a very difficult problem. Um, you know, I think... The paper that I often refer to here is the Twitter paper on Finagle, where they were trying to solve something like this with retry logic, baking it into like a client library, which is now spun out to service mesh. Is that the approach that Wix take? Um, do you use service mesh to provide that tooling to your application developers? Or have you gone down a different route to kind of help them with retries and circuit breakers? Like, I'd really love to understand how you've implemented that. Sure. So yes, we, we do utilize uh, a service mesh, and we—I uh, don't think there's a standard circuit breaker mechanism at Wix. And I think retries at the end of the day, the responsibility of the specific uh, service, uh, like as a client. I think service mesh in our case mostly helps with easy like discoverability and easily addressing right uh, the the correct service and and not 
needing to worry about it, uh, the request getting to to the correct correct place. And so, in that respect, what what we do try to uh, enforce uh, in, in these requests is really like the default time that a request. Uh, has to res- uh, get a response is quite short. I don't remember the exact uh, amount of seconds, but it, it's it's quite short. So you have to have a good reason to to then increase it, right? Because the longer uh, the response can potentially be allowed to return, the more pro- problematic it is for the health of the distributed system, right? So the time budgets here are, are quite constrained, and if a service does not meet up to those standards, then they need to work hard on uh, the performance, right? Improve their RPC endpoint. And if their database uh, is starting to have to act act up, then they need to investigate how, how to solve it and maybe switch to a different technology uh, and stuff like that. But I would say that for Wix, a lot of the services don't uh, suffer necessarily the scaling issues because of the funnel I talked about. So we have like the heavy-duty services that have very specialized data storage uh, solutions, and others usually are, are quite fine uh, with MySQL. So um, you will get MySQL in the last few years introduced document database. So because we were heavily invested in MySQL, we took the ability to now work with documents and JSONs with MySQL in both hands, and we have a database layer on top of that. So it, it's really simple and fast to to create uh, new domain entities and, and to persist them and update them. And in terms of the latencies and and performance, usually it, it works quite well, quite well, and, and they get their own tables. So sorry about the rabbit hole, but uh, uh, maybe I'm my own Russian doll here. But in terms of um, on, on getting the the best performance and and resilience, it's up to the developer. At the end of the day, the developer, like if I'm I'm starting to notice that my KPIs are uh, starting to be problematic, and it's because of this this service, then may I may reach out to them and ask them to 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 fix their performance if they haven't noticed it. And another way I can do it is I can consume their events. And have my own materialized view, and then and then just take the responsibility for performance completely for my for my uh, on my end, which is um, like you said, if you can do it in eventually eventually consistent way, then um, it's definitely an option. And I think it wakes like ninety nine percent of the cases eventually consistent is good enough. Okay, there was a lot there in that answer so <laughs> let's let's cover a, a few things and remove a few assumptions for the audience right um, yeah when you interview me you need to keep a notebook <laughs> i have been taking notes anywhere you'll have heard my keyboard to chat in a way but uh yeah we we both mentioned service mesh you confirmed there is some service mesh and you're using some api surface of that so i just want to clarify Uh, does wix run on top all these 200 uh, 2500 services on top of kubernetes yes right okay cool you also short answer (laughs) yeah Well, we're going to get to the harder stuff, so don't you worry. Plenty of, plenty of time for us to chat. But you spoke about the, the application developers and their responsibilities, uh, You know where they get to select their own tooling, their own databases. They're responsible for client-side retries and such. Um, you're on the back-end Ember team, right? You lead the back-end Ember team. So I'd love for us to understand how the responsibilities at Wix work 
with regards to what does the backend infra team um, provide? Is it just cluster? Is it uh, SRE semantics? Is it observability? Is it guidance? Are you embedded with an application team? So like, can you go into just how you work with the, the devs and how you put this all together? Sure. So there are two levels of infrastructure uh, for backend at Wix. There's the more, I would say, low-level low level part, which says, okay, we're running Kafka. How can we translate that to work well with microservices? Um, or, okay, we're running MySQL. How can we sim- simplify it for like uh, routing layers on top and, and make it... Uh, easier to work with and and also caching and stuff like that so we we have a caching um, solution that uh, is partially based on uh, aws dynamodb like uh, the second layer so i would say this is like the more cloud infrastructure translations to microservices level and then on top of that we have the i would call them the platform engineers maybe their goal is to make like building a microservices super simple and fast Okay, um, so the journey for the developer usually starts with writing a, the interface in Protobuf. And it's not only the interface of, of the service, like what RPC and Kafka endpoints are part of it, but also a lot of the tweaks are done in, in, in Proto. And then uh, code is generated behind the scenes for it to work. And then you complete a little bit more configuration in code and you can focus on the business logic. So because you have database layer that you, you work with, and I'm talking about like the 80%, right? It's not like each and every service of Wix, especially not the like uh, really high scale ones. Uh, they they can't operate under these, these templates, right? But for the 80%, like we have a lot of verticals, a lot of various segments that have a little bit uh, less traffic. And all of these tools and, and this framework basically really allows them to focus on like the domain challenge, right? How can we make sure that we provide the best booking solution and, and make it so you can have all, all these cool features on like sending reminders and is starting soon and, and be able to easily rebook rebook classes and maybe suggesting classes that are similar, right? So all of these rich business domains, uh, they can focus on that. And what do they get uh, behind the scenes? So they get the auto-generated RPC uh, endpoints. So all they need to do is fill in the what action to take when when they get uh, such a request and how to handle and process an incoming event right they they need to write that in and if they need to act, interact with the database so usually they they just work with our simple db layer that i mentioned before it's uh, works with document uh, flavor of, of uh, mysql and with json support so what happens you get your um, rpc or kafka domain uh, entity and you use another tool that you can employ here which is auto mapping to your data layer entity right so and that data layer entity uh, you can easily add indexes if needed uh, to get better performance and stuff like that so the idea is to really um, abstract away the intricacies of the SQL queries or, or stuff like that. And you also will get built in like PII encryption when needed or the 
built-in um, notifications and segmentation needed for GDPR and stuff like that, right? And now we're getting to the data locality realm where because of other regulations, you need to keep something only in Europe or uh, only in the US and stuff like that. So all of that can be taken care of for you seamlessly. Yeah, so uh, if I recap, we, we get like the platform engineers giving you really simple interfaces to auto-generate the code. And we're actually really excited about uh, the possibilities of large uh, language models uh, like ChatGPT to har- harness all the great work that's been done so far and, and you know, take it to the next level and, and increase ve- velocity even further. Okay, awesome. I always like to just give like that 10 second recap to make sure I even I understand everything and we haven't missed out on any of the good details there. You got like the low level cloud infrastructure team, the backend infra team, where you're providing the the Kubernetes clusters, the cloud resources, and all that stuff, right? Yeah, so that's another part of Wix. Wix is a big company. Uh, so like the cloud infrastructure uh, is run uh, like outside of the backend. And then we, like I'm part of the, you can say cloud infra for, for the backend. And actually, we developed a lot of cool stuff on top of Kafka, right? Uh, because you want to make sure that you get the best performance out of Kafka possible. And to solve all these tricky edge cases of, oh, wait, for some reason, the service pod wasn't able to reach uh, the Kafka broker for some reason. And, and we get we added a resiliency layer here. And for the consumer side, we added resiliency because we implemented all kinds of retry strategies built in. It's really easy to configure. And so we have a, a rich set of like event-driven and messaging infrastructure on top of, uh, of Kafka. And we also have, have self-service tools to manage issues in your production environment. So things like easily pinpointing an event that, that uh, you're interested in in our control plane that we built or investigating why some partitions in Kafka have a consumer lag on, on them and saying what what events potentially got stuck uh, in the processing and also be able to skip or replay events. So you can see that it's a bit more like infrastructure and production-y uh, on that level. And the t- level on top of that is uh, like having the frameworks in place to like write a microservice skeleton in a few minutes and focus on the business logic. Okay, great overview there. So I think we've covered a lot of like the, the backend, the platform engineer providing tooling. We've got the application developers over here. They only really need to focus on their business logic. Um, you know, especially, uh, and I want to kind of look back into event-driven architectures, right? So we've got all these application developers. And I don't, I don't know how many application developers you've got, right? But I'm going to take a guess. You've got two and a half thousand services. Let's assume any team is responsible for, say, 10. That's 250 teams. Let's assume five persons per team. We're potentially talking about 1,250 developers. Is that anywhere close? I think uh, it's... It's a, it's in the ballpark, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, you know, th- that's a lot of people hopefully focusing on our domain logic. But, you know, based on the conversation we've had so far, I'm curious. We've got event-driven systems, which are notoriously hard, right? Um, they're 
they've got a service it's a meta event and they decide oh i'm going to change the structure of this event and they're sitting there going is this uh, an upcast i created a v2 is it a new event do they get support from like the back-end teams the platform teams the people with experience is there like how do they are they expected to know all of this or do you guide them on this do you support them through that so i think one of the subjects here is schema evolution and, and versioning right uh so definitely we have like design guidelines and and platformization guidelines on how to make sure that when you design your microservice uh, you write uh, a forward looking API but also one that can evolve uh, over time and also you know because of the power of protobuf you can also easily add linters that make sure that you you don't easily mess that up so uh, that you and because of auto-generated code. So it's built in with the slash V1 for the first thing. So it will be easy to do a V2 and if needed. So we don't really have like automatic uh, linting for for the backwards forward compatibility of each of the domain entities that we send over the events. Uh, but with Protobuf, you you pretty much know that it will be ill-advised to just go and uh, and delete uh, a field. It's better to like mark it as deprecated and add another uh, field. Uh, so there are definitely uh, guidelines on how how to to do uh, these minor changes to your schema. And uh, I think I don't remember. There are some basic rules uh, that enforce some stuff. So, uh, but. I, I can't recollect them uh, right now. So some of this is responsibility of the developer, but because like part of the onboarding process Wix is is how do you write a product which is API first, right? You it used to be different. It used to be like okay, so we have uh, some uh, UI and some backend service behind it, and uh, so the UI. I, is going to ask uh, all kinds of things, so we need to build an API for it. Uh, but because we we've evolved Wix into a platform that also has developers on top of it, and because it's a bigger company now, so you need developers to communicate. You don't want like Slack or Microsoft Teams uh, uh, to be a, a, a barrier to understand how to consume something from uh, some event from another service, right? So we want everything to be well documented, easily discoverable, and easily evolved, right? So. So I can safely stay on the older version for a while, especially if I'm an external developer, right? And and then safely migrate on my own time to to the new version. And it will be the responsibility of the service owner to make sure that both version, versions are are supported. Okay. And are, are you leveraging, like, just because you mentioned kind of discoverability there, right? Are you leveraging anything like backstage, like an IDP that, aggregates and collects all of these service definitions and the event definitions and the protobufs and gives someone a place to go and search them? Uh, sure. So actually, because of uh, like the unique nature of Wix's platform, a lot of work has been done to expose things to external developers, and we built it by ourselves. So there was no point in like not doing the same for internal developers. So there are Products out there, right? Uh, for instance, uh, especially for events, you have the Confluent uh, uh, Schema Registry, and there's also API Curio, I think, something like that uh, from Red Hat, like open source. 
And uh, those are great tools for, for managing and discovering uh, event schemas. For, specifically for Wix, uh, we built our own custom uh, services. So each time a new service is written, uh, the, its protobuf has the event definitions. They are transferred automatically to the main repository that uh, keeps all, all of the the definitions and you can also listen if if you're like a CICD service or some other build related service that cares when new events are created so that you can do stuff with them uh, you can listen to that uh, and create all kinds of cool stuff on top of that and also I think for RPC communication with the service mesh it's also important to know that uh, a new service has been created or updated. And so events are emitted on that as well to allow the communication to, to be simple there as well. And, and so because of everything is based on protobuf, you get the schema, you get uh, well-documented stuff. And um, once you translate it, hopefully to a strongly typed language, like Scala or TypeScript, you also get uh, type safety when uh, you consume it and or, or call the RPC endpoint as well. Awesome. Let's kind of jump back to something you said earlier as well. So I, I love that answer, right? You're saying that you're a developer company, you've got public-facing APIs, there's a bit of dogfooding, the discoverability is the same as the people that use the platform, which is awesome. That's kind of what I took away from that, so I hope that's correct. But uh, you also said earlier that, you know, uh, sometimes you have to approach an application team um, because they may not have noticed that the round trip time on an API request is like it's growing exponentially, it's getting out of control, whatever that regression is, could be anything, right? Um, I'm assuming they maybe don't know a lot of the times that they have dashboards, metrics, traces, logging. I, I'm assuming these are potentially provided by like the templates you mentioned, which are provided by the platform team. So they're just taking this cookie cutter boilerplate and inject another domain logic maybe not aware of all the stuff that's going on in the background for them it got me kind of thinking um like is wix a, a polygot organization if i was new at wix and i've got a service that i want to write and there's no template for like rust or elixir or pony lang and i'm like hey i really want to do this in pony um are you going to just tell me no or is there a process there to bring on like new technologies sure so um every technological stack has a, a new one has an incurred incurred like cost in an organization uh, especially for like you have one developer that's super excited about elixir and then they writes a service in elixir but what's what happens when uh, they decide to leave the company like who is going to maintain this elixir uh, service um so so we started off on the jvm uh, mostly Scala, and then it was apparent that because there are a lot of front-end developers writing JavaScript, and you want them to easily write middleware ser uh, services and rendering services, uh, so relatively quickly, uh, like Node.js uh, became an additional first-class citizen, uh, in, like with Scala, and in recent years, uh, they are starting to gain like a bigger, bigger effort to expand like the, the offering. So why not write in Java and Go and Python as well? 
Now, in order to achieve that, like I mentioned, a very complex, let's call it platform framework and, and a lot of stuff. So it's not, and that's on the JVM, and it's not really so simple to to achieve that. Uh, so one way that we're experimenting now is with kind of a sidecar pattern with with two containers where we have the host container which is running the JVM and all of the cool microservice infrastructure that I talked about. Then you have the guest container that can be an OJS container or a Python or, or a Go container. And they communicate via JRPC and just uh, so you, you specify the proto because proto can be in any language and you can implement your event handler or your RPC endpoint in, in the languages I mentioned, and it will um, get invoked from the host that will actually do the heavy lifting. Uh, another approach we're c contemplating uh, perhaps is utilizing GraalVM uh, also uh, to get that working. But like in terms of um, cost-benefit uh, analysis, I think we'll definitely, I don't see like the engineering of Wix going to Hey, just write in any code, like language you ever saw, and because it's cool, because at the end of the day, um, there's a, this, uh, a production system that needs to be well maintained and, and get uh, good uh, performance and and keep our customers happy at the end of the day. Awesome, thank you. Okay, so based on everything you've just said. You know, there's a lot of JVM happening, and you mentioned Graal as well, right? But they're definitely heavy JVM users. Um, your event-driven architecture on AWS, you've got Kafka and MX, which is notoriously difficult to kind of scale it with resource-intensive. Um, the costs must be rather astronomical, I would imagine, for a company of X scale. You know, you mentioned that wonderful number at the start of the episode, 70 billion, I think it was events per day. So maybe you can dive into that a little bit more detail and tell us what's interesting from your perspective. Sure, I would love to do that. So uh, basically, over uh, the the last uh, couple of years, we, we're trying hard to see how we can keep the costs down. So I mentioned that microservices are new microservices spin up every week, but um, we need to see how the infrastructure costs don't increase uh, linearly with that, right? So we have our infrastructure on top of Kafka, for instance, and we saw that we we need to allow to have a lot more Kafka brokers because we have so many microservices and all of them need to connect to the Kafka brokers and understand, like, is there something for me to consume now, right? Now, all, not all pods of all services are going to get uh, stuff they need to, to consume, and but they're going to run uh, our infrastructure and waste CPU and memory uh, in order to do that. So in order to mitigate this, we actually uh, created uh, three services for each of the basic Kafka uh, features. So we have a Kafka producer, a Kafka consumer, and a Kafka administrator. So for each of them, we created a proxy that in this way, we can really, really limit the amount of connections that we need for, for the brokers. And then we can uh, really limit the amount of brokers that we actually need to run. So while the admin proxy and producer proxy is really straight, quite straightforward to do because they're stateless, 
for the consumer proxy, it's uh, a real, it's been a real adventure where you need to keep uh, like the state of of which consumers are now uh, connected and to shard the the and load balance uh, between the pods and have a lot of work on like the stateful nature of consuming from kafka which is really exciting and challenging and we're also trying to reduce uh, kafka based traffic because uh, that's also uh, quite expensive for us so we're considering now that we have our our service our proxy service we're considering doing um, all kinds of events caching and stuff like that in order to uh, if you have a lot of consumers for the same event we can uh, reduce the 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 pressure on kafka and, and just sometimes uh, get caches from ourselves so from our proxy service so a lot of really challenging technical stuff uh, we're, we're doing now in order to reduce our our kafka bills basically wow okay so so the problem statement there, right, is you have so many consumers and producers of Kafka connecting to all of the Kafka brokers that you're having to scale out horizontally the brokers to handle the amount of connections. So in order to avoid that, um, you know, that that's good. That's a cost sink, right? We we running a GVM on a container on top of a Kubernetes cluster is quite a chunky thing to do, and then you've got that across so many services. Yeah, okay, I understand the problem statement really well. Uh, You've went on a solutions approach of, you said you wrote three proxies, right? But it sounds like they're slightly more sophisticated than just a proxy. Like they're actually their own little orchestrator within the cluster. So all the consumers and producers, sorry, I'm cutting you off here, but uh, all the producers, the consumers only ever speak to your proxy and then it handles some, I guess, like delegation of all the Kafka workloads. Yeah, so um, when you have a lot less producers connecting to actual Kafka producers connecting to the Kafka workers. Uh, that like, you don't need the two thousand five hundred uh, services pl- uh, times the number of, of pods they have to connect. You only you need a much smaller set of producers to actually do the work for them, and then you really limit the amount of connection. That's how you save producer connection. And over on the consumer side. So yeah, you 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 consume for them, and then you delegate to them via uh, RPC, which is much much less uh, cost intensive uh, in our uh, data centers. I hope that clarified it. It does. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, just fun problems and fun solutions that you get to work on, um, and really, I think it's just exciting that you're able to kind of share that with the audience. I think they're going to take a lot away from that. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, we, I enjoy coming to work every day. <laughs> awesome. Um, we have gone over time, so thank you for being patient and answering all these questions. Uh, I'll just, I mean, I could easily talk to you for another hour. I, I think we'll maybe do a part two in a little while if you're up for it. But let's finish with something a bit more fun uh, just to you know, get us on the way. But you've mentioned a lot of tools in today's episode, right? From Kubernetes to Kafka to MySQL to the Scala to Growl. Like, if there were only three tools that you had that you could pick, and everything else would just be removed from you, like, what are the three most important tools to you and Wix Engineering that you just could not live without? For myself or for Wix Engineering? Let's do both. Like, let's start with you. <laughs> okay. 
for for myself, I, I actually really really enjoy working with a functional library on top of Scala called Zeo, which uh, I really enjoy working in every day because it's really tuned for high concurrency and uh, asynchronous work, uh, and get all the benefits of functional programming. So I really enjoy working it uh, every day. Don't take it away from me. And uh, I think uh, Kafka has proven to be very powerful, versatile. And, and so we solve so much with it in, in Wix. So I definitely don't see like Wix without it. Um, that's like the two biggest ones for me. All right. Awesome. Okay. And do you want to add any more tools or do you want to leave it as those? ZIO and Kafka, right? Um, I, th I think uh, those are the the ones uh, like if if you're on the on the JVM or or like uh, not satisfied with the the concurrency and asynchronous uh, features from your language, I, I definitely uh, recommend to check out uh, Zio ZIO uh, library on top of Scala. Awesome, thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today, answering all these questions, sharing all of your knowledge and all of the interesting problems that you have in Wix engineering, and most importantly, how you're navigating and solving them. Uh, and I'll give you just a moment. Feel free to share and shamelessly plug uh, Wix, yourself, your blog, your Twitter, your uh, if you have a dairy farm, like anything you wish, please feel free to share. <laughs> well, first of all, it was really a pleasure uh, being on the show and uh, uh, you're a great host and I really enjoyed uh, your questions and kept, kept me uh, on my toes. And a lot of things I talked about uh, today uh, are uh, on my website, so natanseal.com, uh, blog posts on, on ranging from like event-driven architecture and more like Kafka-specific, uh, talked about schema management. and uh, But I also have other software engineering in broader terms uh, related stuff there. And you can, and also I do a lot of talks and a lot of conferences, so you can check out all that in my at my website as well. And yeah, you can find me on Twitter and uh, LinkedIn uh, for sure, where I, I, I get updates on everything that we do at Wix Engineering, which is interesting. So that's it. All right. Well, thank you again. I will ensure that all of those links are in the show notes for people to check out. So to everyone listening, thank you very much. And we'll see you all next time. Have a great day.